Hey everybody, how is it going? It is Nick from the Department of Metal Antiquities, also of Glacially Musical. Of course, how are you doing this week? Unfortunately, there were some issues and we were not able to not able to record a brand new episode for you. However, if you are one of our newer listeners, there is plenty of amazing content here at the Department of Metal Antiquities. We're even featuring pretty sweet, pretty, pretty sweet uh new slides and all kinds of awesome sauce business this week we are running one of our earliest episodes it is our first episode on black sabbath proper not just uh a little thing here or there but our first black sabbath album we did we're going to cover born again which is a re- we're going to listen to me we covered born again and it is the first it is the last record featuring bill ward on drums for black sabbath it is the only black sabbath record featuring ian gillen of deep purple on vocals and here we have we we we're going to begin the series of uh, black sabbath records featuring deep purple vocalists thank you very much for tuning in if you haven't heard this one well it's new to you and if you have heard it you know maybe check back in to see see how we're better now and all that kind of great stuff and with all that, on with the show. And welcome to the Department of Metal Antiquities. Where we remember what everyone else has forgotten. I am Nick Cameron of Glacially Musical, and joined with me as always is Duncan Evans of all of his various projects. How are you, Duncan? Hey, hey, hey. I'm all right. I'm not bad. Yeah, it's uh, been a nice a nice Sunday today in Leeds, UK. Here in, the, in St. Louis, Missouri, I got up at a little later than my normal time. Normally on Sundays, I get up early at 7.30 to begin myself to prep again for the, the standard work week. But I slept in until about 8.45 today. I got up and cooked pancakes for my daughter, started the beef stew for the evening, did cleaned the kitchen three times, did lunch, and did some work on our apartment downstairs that we are renovate, renovating and going to be doing some more of that in a little while. Actually, after I get done with this, I'm going to go do some more work on that. <laughs> and it's it's been a busy day. But here in St. Louis, Missouri, it is a delightful fall day. It's about 55 degrees. Been wearing hoodies all week, which is awesome. Glad to hear. Glad to see the summer is going away. Yeah, it's definitely taken a turn um, for the cold over here we, we it was quite sunny today actually but still pretty on the cool side and we've had some really quite chilly days so yes we will we, we are getting prepared for winter i think i am greatly i i hate the summertime i, I mean it's i hate it cannot stand it so when the, when the when the world changes the weather gets cold i get happy i get to get back underneath my down comforter and sleep in my bed shivering which is always much more preferable to me than sweating <laughs> and, fair enough no i get it I, I don't mind the summer myself i quite like it to be warm but you know whatever we'll we'll deal with it as it comes i agree and yeah as always want to you know give a shout out to podcast i listen to big one uh, we both listen to is the dumb and dumbest podcast with matt bacon curtis duar and sometimes uh keithy of ghost coast as well uh, still listening to Fourth Line Voice podcast, which is a great one if you like old school hockey. Also, check out the Risk podcast as well, hosted by a former state alum, Kevin Allison. It is a storytelling podcast where it gets really strange. 
Yeah, no, apart from listening to the Dumb and Dumbest podcast and the Jabber Jaw Music Business podcast, um, I've just been listening to lots of BBC radio. Uh, so there, there we go. That's, that's been me this week. As, as always, it's the same for me. But uh, what are we talking about today? Well, we are talking about um, an album by Black Sabbath, um, one that is largely forgotten or that when it's remembered, it's often remembered for its um, slightly ridiculous album cover. And most people tend not to really remember what, uh, what, what the songs are actually like inside. And that is Born Again um, from 1983, I believe, um, featuring um, Bill Ward again, back in Black Sabbath, but on vocals, neither Ozzy Osbourne nor Ronnie James Dio, but Ian Gillan from Deep Purple. So this is a slightly strange combination. A lot of people would probably agree. This album for me, I had never heard of it until the mid nineties. The bass player in my band back in the day when I was trying to be a failed musician, I didn't get far enough to be a failed musician. I failed at failing. So, but he was- Two, two, posit two negatives make a positive, right? So that's success. Oh, completely. I did once make $5 at a show, so I, we played our own songs and I made five bucks. So I'm only down about 4,000, I think, at that point. <laughs> mm -hmm. With this one though, he had this. He had this one and he also had Seventh Star, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point. And I, I had never heard of these records. He's also the one that told me that Randy Rhodes was in Quiet Riot. So I saw this and I remember looking at it and he said, yes, yeah, the singer from Deep Purple. I had no idea this album existed. After Live Evil, Black Sabbath just fell off a cliff. But what I think a lot of people, myself included, did not know about this one, this album is one of the most important albums of that era. Not for the music, not for, but for the pop culture ripples it created. There's so oh. much in this that it ended up in Spinal Tap. This basically was the inspiration oh. for Spinal Tap. This and um, the band Saxon, pretty much between those two, you've got almost all of the gags and little skits in Spinal Tap. You can find the origin of those stories uh, in there. Stonehenge, you have yeah. album covers, you have the bad mix of the record even. Yeah. yeah. This one, when they mixed it, some tweeters had blown out in the, in, in the studio. So they mixed it to get to on those tweeters. So when they heard it, they're like, what the? So everything is there. This, this is Spinal Tap. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so many ridiculous stories around this. Um, oh, all, all sorts. I mean, down to Ian Gillen said he just couldn't remember the words when they toured this record. So he had like a little... Um, book a little lyric book which he would put on the floor near his foot and turn the page with his toe and just sort of look down and remind himself of the words but what he didn't account for is that Don Arden had set up um set, who set up the tour had, had organized huge smoke machines dry ice machines so he ended up not being able to see the words and then trying to lean down to see them and then he tripped over um Tony Iommi's pedal board several times, trying to see his words. Just all this ludicrous stuff that just shouldn't really happen, but did, you know? It's 
I would love to see a video of this. To the best of my knowledge, one does not exist. I haven't looked too much. And I, I think I need to. Hopefully it's one of the shows without the Stonehenge Monument. As you mentioned to me before, they put it in meters when they meant to put it in feet. So for this Stonehenge Monument, they, it was the opposite of Spinal Tap. They couldn't get it into the most arenas. Yeah, it was 45 feet high. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and it was meant to be 15 feet high so it was absolutely ridiculous and um they yeah they could occasionally fit sort of half of it on the stage i'm not sure they ever got all of it on the stage and eventually they just had to abandon it so absolutely ridiculous um yeah and allegedly they had um a dwarf actor well, well, we'll talk about the album cover in a bit, but we'll probably talk about the dwarf actor story after the album cover, so it makes sense. But, uh, but yeah, but you're getting the idea of how ridiculous some of this uh, sort of um, '80s excessive um, rock and roll silliness was getting by that stage. I, I don't know if anybody heard me laughing. I was trying to, to hold it back, picturing this 45 foot Stonehenge monument, because you have to think about Black Sabbath in 1983. When we think of Black Sabbath now, they're playing stadiums, they're playing the hugest venues. In 1983, they couldn't get arrested. So they're playing little venues. And then imagine you're playing a 4,000, 5,000 seater and they've got this 45 foot Stonehenge. It'd be, it would be ludicrous, it would be touching the ceiling. It would be touching the ceiling at best. And yeah. you mentioned Don Arden, let's go back to that for a little bit. This is, uh, Sabbath went back to Don Arden management before this tour or before this record. And he was the one that brought in uh, Ian Gillen. They were originally talking about Robert Plant or David Coverdale. To me, that sounds like the, the line in Showgirls where they lost their lead, they lost their lead dancer and they say, who can we get? We could have gotten anybody. We could have gotten Sheena Easton or Paula Abdul. No, you couldn't. And I, I feel like that's just how this was because at this point, Ian Gillen had been out of Deep Purple for six or seven years. I don't believe that. Uh, yeah, I suppose that's not. right. Yeah, I suppose that's right. Yeah. Because there yeah. was uh, Come Taste the Band, Burn, oh, uh, Stormbringer, at least three albums in that time, probably more than that, because Deep Purple was pretty, pretty motivated back in those days. Yeah, and he that's didn't, true. That's true. And Gillen didn't even really want to do it. They got drunk and he said he was going to do it. Yeah. And then, and that's when things get weird. Yeah. As they're drunk, Ian Gillen tells Tony Iommi, I'm going to sleep in a marquee tent outside of the manor that we've rented to record this album. And he did. And I picture him sleeping and it had a cooking area. It was multi-roomed. I picture him sleeping in like the tent in Narnia that Aslan was in. That, that's what mm. I picture. And so he's sleeping outside and then, okay, it's just, I, uh, how you even get to that point, I don't know. And it is very strange indeed, yes. I fully agree with that. Um, yeah, man. So maybe it's also worth just mentioning that this, this album was never meant to be a Black Sabbath album originally. Um, there's uh, quotes from the members saying they were thinking of it as a kind of uh, Gillen, Iommi, Butler Ward type of um, 
thing, like a supergroup almost. Um, but it was a case of they took this record to the label. I can't remember which label it was now. Warner, Warner here anyway. Warner, yeah, there you go. And and then Warner said, right, look, yeah, great album. Um, here's the contract which says you owe us so many Black Sabbath albums. Um, we we want to put this out under the Black Sabbath name, presumably because they thought they'd um, they'd sell more like that, and perhaps they were right. I don't know, but um, yeah. So so. And the problem with that is that then we end up unfairly judging this album as a Black Sabbath album when it was never really meant to be. Correct. Uh, oh, yeah, completely correct. Yeah. It's, so... It, and when you listen, when I listen to it anyway, I guess I should say, there is Black Sabbath in there. There are a couple of songs on this album that are pure Black Sabbath. There are a couple of songs on this album that are harbingers of things we got later with Ronnie James Dio in the Dehumanizer era. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, There's mm -hmm. a couple of things that are very reminiscent of the trippy middle era of the original Black Sabbath. Then there's yes. a lot of songs that are just not anything that, it, neither it's neither Deep Purple nor Black Sabbath nor anything I could really, it, it, it's this, it's, it's born again is what it is. Yeah, I think that's about right. I think that's about right. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. So I don't know whether we should we should probably talk about the album cover. Yeah, let's uh, do that. Yeah. So look, basically the album cover, which anyone can look up by just googling it, um, is iconic and it, it's known as being one of the worst album covers of all time. And I like yeah, it. I don't know. I. I yeah. I. I, I mean. Yeah, look, it, it, it's kind of bad in a way, but it's also, I think it's kind of supposed to be a little bit tongue-in-cheek, and I think it, it kind of works. Um, it's not supposed to be super serious. So what it actually is, is um, a picture of a baby, which, which I believe was actually a scan of a sort of nearly born but still unborn baby inside the womb. And this baby has been um, doctored, the picture's been doctored to give the baby devil claws and devil teeth and sort of these bright green demon eyes and little baby uh, horns coming out of his head. So it's like uh, the baby devil. And um, the guy that did the uh, cover is called Steve Crusher Jewel. And um, he didn't really want to do it apparently. So he, he did it, I think, as a favour to Don Arden um, because he'd, He'd worked with Ozzy, I believe, on the um, he worked on the um, Speak of the Devil um, cover, and he ended up doing Bark of the Moon after this. Um, oh, and Diary of a Madman as well, sorry, he'd, he'd already done. So he got asked to do this Black Sabbath album, and he didn't really want to do it for whatever reason. Maybe he thought Black Sabbath were just on a downward trajectory or whatever, but he did it because it was Don Arden. Um, but he kind of half-assed it and didn't really put that much effort in and didn't really expect to to get the job. He thought it would be rejected. Um, but no, they liked it. So um, there we are. And it's, it is one of those love it or hate it, I guess, album covers. Most people seem to hate it, but it's certainly iconic in its own strange way. Kind of infamous, I guess, if you like. I think it's important to contextualise it. This album came out in 1983. In 1983 in the United States, because Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers is a United States record label. So what are they, what's going on in 1983? The satanic panic, 
This is where we in the United States believed there were roving gangs of Satanists coming out to steal our babies, assault our women, and literally sacrifice our dogs to Satan. I saw so much of this on, on 2020, on 60 Minutes, on all of the major news magazine programs we had in the United States. It was complete and total fabricated bullshit, just to be clear. And I don't normally cuss on this, but on this one, I'm gonna do a little bit of emphasis. It was total, total bullshit. Never happened, never happened, never happened. Yeah. But you've got this evil band that has gone a little limp. So what do yeah. you do? You put out a scary pandering cover. Is the cover good? No. The, it looks like the, the red baby looks like the magnet. There was a magnet toy in the United States where you had a magnet wand and it had metal dust in it and you moved the metal dust. Yeah, I the know the one, the iron filings. Yeah, I've got, yeah, I know the one. Yeah. Absolutely. It looked like that baby was in the iron, had the iron filings around it because the shadows were so awful. So yeah, he completely half-assed the cover. It, 20 more minutes yeah. could have made a big difference. But if you think about it, Diary of Madman was great. This was bad. Speak of the Devil was awful. Ozzy Osbourne in a throne with grape jelly on his face. Not good. And then, yeah. and then Bark at the Moon. Great cover. So, he's, you know, he's two for four. It's, he's yeah. either going to knock it out of the park or you should really throw it away. Yes. But I, yeah. unless you've got anything else to set this up, which, my God, I think we could go on for hours just setting it up. Because it's yeah, uh, I think ready. let's yeah let's do this and we can we can bring any other little anecdotes in as we talk through the songs I think because there's a few that go with the songs. Um, I agree. All right, let's I'll go let you with it first. Okay, so track one we have trashed, um, which tells the story of um, Ian Gillen um, getting very inebriated um, as he screams the line. In fact, inebriated. At one point, he says it a bit better than I just did, but that's one of the lyrics. Um, yeah, and crashing Bill Ward's car, I believe. Um, yes. so, On the go-kart track at the recording studio. Yes. That's, yeah. a, that's a fun sentence to say, by the way. Yeah. So it's pretty heavy. Um, it kind of crashes in there. It's got a driving heavy groove to it. Um, I, I like it. You know, I think the riffs are quite cool. Um, Ian Gillen kind of, he's really going for it. He's really screaming. And to me, it feels like he's almost trying a bit too hard. It's almost like, because he's known as a screamer and he did do this whole screaming thing in Deep Purple, but he did it actually probably less than people maybe think. Um, and also he was he had had issues with his voice around this time i believe he'd had nodes on his throat or something like that um and it feels like he's suddenly in a heavy metal band instead of a hard rock band and he doesn't quite know what to do there so he's almost slightly overcompensating by really screaming um so he's pushing his voice a little bit too hard for me but um yeah it's it's pretty cool it's reminiscent of a heavier deep purple i would say i don't know what you think for me it's it should, first, it should be noted, this, this one, the next track, and probably two or three others were actually written on, as you, you alluded to, written about true events. Ian Gillen wrote all the lyrics on this record. This was the first time, well, no, I take that back. 
it, it's, it might be the first time the singer wrote everything. I think Geezer probably helped out. Yeah, Geezer helped out. I know he wrote Voodoo, the lyrics to Voodoo for Dio, but they let, they let Ian do all of it. So he wrote a few songs about things that actually happened. And the weird thing is, things that actually happened, like apparently the couple of weeks they were recording it. So yeah, he gets actual, absolutely hammered. If you listen to the lyrics, I'm presuming tequila. Gets hammered on tequila yeah, and goes nuts. Praise to God in that song, I might add, which that was one of the things, there's some lyrical themes in this album that come up. As I mentioned when we were, before we went on mic, there's a lot, I, I paid attention to the lyrics in this one for the first time ever. I never really looked into the lyrics on this album, just kind of listened to it. And there's a lot of running themes, driving too fast, moving too fast, mm. you know, praying to God, little things here and there. But this one, you're absolutely right. It's an up-tempo song. It's got a good groove. For me, it was neither Black Sabbath nor Deep Purple. This was that first song that really, this is a new thing. This isn't Black Sabbath. It's definitely not. And that's fine. It's, when you can judge it on those merits, it, it, it's much easier to accept. But I thought that the guitar riff was something very, well, I guess I should say, TV Crimes was very reminiscent of this song for me. If you listen to TV Crimes, very similar riff, very similar progression. And it's, it's a great opener. It's up-tempo. It's good. It really shows what this band is about. Probably should have been a single if it wasn't. It's also, and there's a lot more different vote, lyrical themes in this album, which yeah, take that however you want. Yeah, I thought there's a pretty good solo. It's kind of, I only trying to do 80s, you know, a bit like he'd started to do with the Dio era. He's, it's not really classic Iomi, but it's still good. Um, it sounds like um, a good 80s rock solo rather than a Sabbath Iomi solo, but it's, it's cool, you know? You're not going to hear me talking about the lead work on this album very much. Mm-hmm. For me, it was a very classical Iomi sound. This is when he started branching off into the highly overdriven 80s sound. So it's, yep. it's good. It's not Iomi good. It's a different kind of good. It's more conventional than it is revolutionary. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. But let's head on into Disturbing the Priest. Another song about a true story. This happened there. Apparently they were re- rehearsing next to a priest and he made noise complaints. So that's what the song is about. It's a good ethereal opening. This is one of those things that harken back to Master of Reality, to Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, to Volume 4. Great slow buildup. Yeah, I believe the keyboard intro is called Stonehenge. Oh, um, is that? Oh, you're right. Okay, that... so. So there's All like right, a so... minute and a half of Stonehenge, then it's into st- Disturbing the, pri- the Priest, okay. yeah. So that, that's what I say about Stonehenge. Stonehenge is awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then Disturbing the Priest, it, it goes into a great scream and then it gets chaotic it's very it's it's a very progressive song in a different way than black sabbath had ever been progressive it is it's a refocused kind of band and i thought they really hit it out of the park it's a great song love yeah there's some really good vocal stuff some harmony some really um 
high-pitched screams that don't feel like he's overdoing it. They feel really comfortable. And it's almost a bit, you know, Child in Time, the uh, Deep Purple song where he really goes through it with the screams. We, we're, it's reminiscent of that, but he's got um, a harmony, you know, another layer of uh, harmony going on, which makes it a bit Queen-esque. It's very, very classy. It's cool, man. So, uh, yeah, 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 pretty impressive. Um, Gothic-ish lyrics. I mean, I know it's about these real-life events, but we, we kind of get into... It's like he's trying to fit the Sabbath mould rather than just singing about real-life events and relationships like he might more naturally do, you know. Um, I don't There's know a lot of that. Yes, I think that's, that, that, that's right. There's loads of it. Um, yeah, I mean, when you know what it's about, you can see it's a little bit tongue in cheek and it's kind of, uh, uh, the, there's humor in there. But yeah, we've got like the force of the devil is the darkness the priest has to face, which is, that's not very deep purple. Um, oh, good. It's also not very good. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that's true. Um, the flames of doubt so deep inside. Anyway, there you go. But yeah, no, it's a good song. It works, you know. Um, it's a good song, bad lyrics. Uh, and I put heavy, heavy, heavy. It's nice and heavy. Oh yeah. Then they move into another instrumental, The Dark. To me, it was more of an interlude than an instrumental. It, this to me, this one and Stonehenge, which I apologize that I skipped over. I didn't realize I skipped over to my notes till later and then I forgot to write it down. But these two songs felt to me a lot like a few years later, when David Gilmore is writing a new movie part one and a new movie part two to give that classic Pink Floyd feel to this now very non-classic Pink Floyd. Mm. And these songs don't really fit. It just felt like they were trying to throw in things like fluff and embryo and they're good. I enjoy them, but they were not necessary. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. They're fine. It's okay. Very a lot of effects, keyboard sounds, synthy sounds, effects. I mean, yeah, it's fine, but not particularly necessary. And I don't know, man. It's atmospheric, but bordering into slightly silly. I don't know. Um, yeah, but whatever. You know, they were good, but I felt pandered to. Yeah, yeah. But now we move on to, and if it. it this is going to be, because I'm going to start mentioning this when it's worthwhile. The Fallen Soldier Award for this song, Zero the Hero. This is the song that we all should remember. This is the tragic song of this album because it's amazing. This is the classic Black Sabbath sound, classic Tony Iommi. Ian Gillen plays, excuse me, Ian Gillen sings a different way it's half talking, almost rapping. It's melodic rapping. It's, it's amazing. The first time I actually heard this song was Cannibal Corpse covering it for an underground Black Sabbath tribute mm. before Nativity in Black even came out. Totally. Um, and it's, it's really influential, this song. It was actually the single from the album, but it's, it's not particularly that well remembered. But clearly some people did remember it. So here we go. Look, Guns N' Roses, Paradise City, um, was apparently influenced by it, which the riff, um, you know, we've got the riff on Zero the Hero that kind of goes da, 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 something. I can't, I'm not going to sing it all now. And we'd probably have to pay royalties if I did. But um 
but yes, yeah, similar to, to, to Paradise City and apparently was a direct influence. We've also got, apparently, Iomi in his autobiography suggested that um, the Beastie Boys might have borrowed... Um, no, hang on, sorry, that's a different song. I apologise, I'm talking utter nonsense. But if we just go um, back to this one, I, it's very, very reminiscent of it. There's a, a band called Rocket from the Crypt that did a song called um, On a Rope, lyrics on a rope on a rope you've got me hanging on a rope or something like that and the riff's almost exactly the same so i think quite a lot of people um quite a lot of musicians have heard this and borrowed it um, this to me is the song that should have stayed in the set list forever mm, mm, mm. i guess yeah. the question becomes could anybody else sing it well, yeah, that, that is a question. It is a question. Catchy chorus, catchy chorus. Um, 80s rock chorus, I guess. Um, 80s, rock, 80s rock um, subject matter, too. Well, there's some weird lyrics. Um, with a magic in their music as they eat raw liver. Oh, I don't know what that means. Um, so... Yeah, where the heroes sit by the river with a magic in their music as they eat raw liver. I don't know, man. This song was about somebody on television who is a fraud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was how I took it, which that was something that came up a lot in American 80s music. Yeah, no, I can see that. And TV is mentioned in the lyrics. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, you know. Um, it's, it's a good track. It's a good track. I think there's a music video for it, which I haven't actually seen, but we should um, have a look Gonna at it. Gonna have to look that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yes. This is another one of those songs where he has an idea. He's going to go this way, but he's got to get there metaphorically. That is, which is very, and I'm not the biggest Deep Purple fan, so if I get this wrong, I'm sorry. It's not very emblematic of Deep Purple. Deep Purple was for me, very little on the, the crazy metaphors and much more straightforward. Yeah, totally. I, I think him living in the marquee tent made him a little more grandiose, perhaps. You know, perhaps he... Maybe so, about... yeah. And I just think maybe he thought he had to do the whole storytelling thing a bit like, um, you know, previous Sabbath um, vocalists and lyricists had done. I, I don't know, maybe he just thought he had to do something different now he's in a different band. I will say the lyrics on this album are nothing like anything on Sabbath before or since. Nobody ever went into this level of metaphor. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. Good or bad, right. that's up to you to decide. It's, But he's the only one that did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah, man. So that's that's a good track. Worth, well worth listening to and very influential. And people will probably be able to hear uh, the influence that that song has had on a lot of subsequent um, ro uh, rock music, basically. Agreed. And that's that one actually closes out side one of Born Again. Yes. It gets now it's going to get strange. Yeah. <laughs> Digital bitch. So I'm still, I'm still not sure what they mean. I, I, I understand the lyrics, but I don't quite get where the digital bit comes in. It's obviously about a woman that they're not... Uh, this they're not song is about, about someone who is the heiress to a computer fortune. Okay, so that's the digital bit, right? Okay. Correct. And You've the lyrics more than me then. 
Oh yeah, yeah, he made a fortune from. Sorry, I'm looking at them now. He made a fortune from computers. Yeah, I've got it. Right there, you go. Told you, I paid attention to the lyrics this time. I paid attention, did, which yeah. I regret that I did that. But that's neither here nor there. And so I wonder if this was based on a real person or not. Wouldn't shock me. I mean, I could see him at a party where the, you know, somebody from Apple Computers was there. Or IBM or something. I could see it happening. Yeah, no, me too, me too. Hopefully it didn't. This song, what's great about this one, how many songs after this have we gotten lambasting computers and computer culture? Even Black Sabbath did it later with Computer God. Mm, mm. So this influenced Black, this is Black Sabbath influencing themselves. <laughs> it's a True. good song. It's, I don't like the lyrics. Um, no. But it's, it's a good up-tempo rocker. And this is, oh God. No, it's, it's actually, it's a bit punk in the chorus. I noticed when you hit that chorus, uh, and I'm not going to attempt to sing it now or anything, but people can listen. Um, it, it, there's, a, there's a certain punk-esque groove, I thought. Um, and whether that was intentional or not, you know, I think punk, punk music had, had, had soaked well into... Um, into culture by then, um, oh, yeah. of the Atlantic. So I, I, I think that's undeniable that there's a bit of that influence there, whether intentional or not. Around this time, the movie National Lampoon's European Vacation was released in America. And right. There was, a, there was a moment when they were in London staring at the punk kids. This was a couple of years after punk kind of stopped, after that movement stopped. And that was when it went from convention into cliche mm -hmm. and you know three years later the same thing happened to hip-hop five yeah. years after that it became metal two years after metal it was grunge it, it it's the way of things but yeah there I, I think you're absolutely right there and this one the only thing i said about the solo was this is classic fuzzy iomi but again he's playing conventional solos he's not playing revolutionary solos but yeah it's quite yeah it's kind of an 80s solo some cool screams. Gillen's pushing his voice a bit hard again. Um, yeah, that, that's it, really. But yeah, it, look, it's, it's, it's quite a good song for what it is. Yeah, pretty bad lyrics. Um, eh, but yeah, there we go. But the guy's drunk and living in a tent, so yeah. I guess that really didn't inspire him like he had hoped. Or maybe it inspired him a little bit too much. This now... Oh, God. This is... Okay. Okay, I gotta, we're gonna move on into the title track, Born Again. Gonna say they yeah. probably shouldn't have done a title track called Born Again, but here we are. Black Sabbath isn't a title track kind of band for the most part. Mm. You know, you got Mob Rules, you got Heaven and Hell, Master Paranoid, of Reality. Paranoid, the only one, isn't it? Maybe. And there's a couple, but I mean, it's not, mostly not, and most of their famous albums are not. But, you know, it's a classic introduction. It's very slow. Bill Ward plays this drum beat where I'm just waiting for it. And then he throws in this little triple tap that doesn't fit. And at first I thought it was a mistake, but then he did it again. Then it gets strange. It is when, strange. When he starts singing, when Gillen starts singing, if you close your eyes... Don't look at the album. 
you're going to see Michael Bolton. Hmm. He sings this like Michael Bolton. Very very 80s. The lyrics are very insane. This is when, to me, it feels like Edgar Allan Poe is writing a Black Sabbath tune. Mm. Because yes, I know what you mean. It's it's they're actually yeah you're right. They are quite poetic actually. They 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 achieve that quite well. But yeah, it's very much that dark gothic sort of um, romantic poetry, I suppose. With unreliable narrators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and as soon as I heard this song, things started swirling around in my head. And yeah, so we'll get to that in a bit. We'll get to that on the summation. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, it's a strange song, this one. It's, um, you've got this, this kind of gothic sound. You've got these clean, jangly, reverbed guitars. Um, so it's kind of, it is metal, but it's very much, um, I don't know, how can we describe it? It's, it's that gothic kind of um, 80s, 80s horror movie metal somehow. I don't know. It's um, like Mr. With Crowley. Metal. Yeah, it is like Mr. Crowley. Yeah, exactly like that type of thing. Yeah. Um, and then you've got a very kind of catchy chorus. Um, kind of good. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. It's, I think it's a bit strange. Um, and I thought it was, I thought they were trying a bit too hard with the lyrics to be kind of Sabbath-esque or Dio-esque. Um, a bit too gothic. You know, it's very un-Ian Gillen. And you kind of think, look, just be yourself a bit more. Um, he is definitely trying to fit a mold you know even though we know going in they didn't intend calling this a black sabbath record it felt like ian gillen went in writing for black sabbath the whole time yeah i mean i guess even though they were not going to call it that it was all the original members of black sabbath plus gillen so he's going to feel like he's the new boy in Black Sabbath to a large extent, even if the name Black Sabbath wasn't going to be applied to it. Agreed. Mm. Now we go into hotline, which is two words, not one word. I don't know why I mentioned that. It yeah. sound, this sounds very modern, very 80s metal. Geezer Butler, Geezer Butler is probably the star of this record for me because... Mm. He played the whole record like Black Sabbath, and everybody talks about you know Tony Iommi is Black Sabbath. Tony, no, it's Tony and Geezer. It's only Sabbath when it's Tony and Geezer, because Geezer creates the foundation for Tony Iommi to play off of, and without that, you have a whole other thing. You know, those mm-hmm. those those two things are what create the brand, and in the entire album. He was playing Geezer Butler. He was playing his walking bass lines, his riffy bass lines, his melodic bass lines. And it was this, this song, it was the most noticeable on this particular song for me. Yeah, I put nice riff, a bit deep purple again, but heavier, driving and fast-ish. Three guitar solos. Energetic, bluesy, pretty good. Getting more 80s each time. We've got the kind of dive bombs by the end, getting more kind of twiddly-widdly. But, yeah, look, I don't know. It's a bit throwaway in a way, but it's not a bad riff. Um, Solos are pretty good. Um, Yeah, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, it's it's all right. I think it's quite good, actually. 
but not necessarily the most memorable or notable track. Agreed. It's the only thing that I remember from that one. And I only listened to this two hours ago. I mean, it's not been that long. All I remember is just geezer. Like that, that classic geezer riffing. And then we move into keep it warm. The last track. Yes. Where he is singing. It's a black Sabbath love song, which yes. It's been a while since we had one of those. Last one, I believe, was Changes before this one. And oh, possibly. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Yes. I know Dio didn't do any. And no, I think you're probably right. I can't uh, speak too much about Never Say Die or Sabotage or Technical Ecstasy. But I think there might be something on Never Say Die or Technical Ecstasy, but I, I can't remember right now. Um, well, Dirty Women is on Sabotage. Yeah, I don't know if it's a love song exactly, but yeah. but yeah. Close to, it is a, it's no, closer that's not, to a that's love not, that's song. That's on Technical Ecstasy. That's Technical Ecstasy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's closer to a love song than, say, Lord of This World. It is, yes. You're absolutely right. Yes. But this sure. song, it, it sounds like he is coming back from something. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Makes, which is a very strange bookend. Mm, mm, mm. It is, yeah. No, it is. You've got these lyrics about, yeah, your man is coming home and all that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly it. He says, I'm a gypsy. I need to roam, but don't worry. I'll be coming home. This actually feels like Gillen being himself, I have to say. This is like very much what... Uh, these could be deep purple lyrics i think actually and i think he he feels comfortable it feels like he's comfortable um it feels like he's singing um in a natural way he's not overstraining he's not trying to be a heavy metal singer he's just being himself because the riffs are even though the riffs are heavy and slow they're bluesy and it works with his quite natural bluesy style so i think this one works very well actually I think, and this is kind of moving on into the, the main summation here, It this is a lot like a lot of albums when you have two established brands coming together. And I, I hate to use the word brand, even though I'm going to always use it, but we know, or flavor, or however you want to discuss it, it takes a long time because, you know, to really meld those together. At this point in time, Black Sabbath has been together for 15 years making music. There was no significant flavor change, no disrespect, with Ronnie James Dio. The band played Black Sabbath music and Ronnie James Dio just sang Ronnie James Dio's way. Mm-hmm. Then he comes in and he can't do that. And I would think that this album puts to rest the question, was Deep Purple Metal? I would say definitely not. And I agree. It's they were they were like Led Zeppelin. They were like Kiss. They weren't metal, but they were one of those bands that all the metal guys loved, the first wave of metal guys, because they didn't have anything else growing up. I guess second wave of metal, but whatever. And it's it's this album, it's the last album that Geezer does for almost ten years. It is the last Black Sabbath album, and I think the last album uh, Bill Ward ever played drums on. Yeah, yeah, definitely the last Sabbath album. He, he does um, one song on the, the reunion uh, live concert. Two. They did two, two. One, either one or two, 
new studio songs, and he's on those. But apart from that, yeah, absolutely. Psycho Man and Selling My Soul, which both of those sounded like Ozzy Osbourne tunes to me. And I don't yeah, know. they weren't really good at all. This is also the last tour Bill Ward did as a drummer until yeah. 1998. I don't think he, I don't, he, didn't, he didn't do much of the tour. Did, did he even do any of the tour? He was on the uh, second tour. Right, okay, okay. Because I know they was when Black Sabbath reunited with Ozzy, but that was with Mike Borden of Faith No More on drums. And I saw that set and it was amazing. Then the next, I'm sorry, 1999. Then the next year, at the end of that year, they recorded the Reunion Live album. Yeah. That was released in 98 while Ozzy was touring as Ozzy Osbourne with Ozfest. Uh -huh. Joe Holmes on guitar, former student of Randy Rhodes, also saw that show. It was truly amazing. Then in 1999, that was the first tour with Bill Ward on drums again. It was the first tour in 17 years. And yes. I saw that, and it was awful, and I left early. Because Bill Ward took three to four minutes between songs. Wow, okay, interesting. And, but I think, now, he was on, I think he was on drums when I saw them in 06, or maybe he wasn't then. I don't know, I'm not sure now. I don't know how many tours he did. I know he did some. I think I he was sure. still Bill Ward. But, I think it could but, have been. Um, but, yeah, but no, I know for, for um, Born Again, he either didn't do much of the tour or or only did or, or um, didn't do any of it. I'm just trying to look. Yeah, look, X Electric Light drummer Bev Bevan was hired to replace Bill Ward. Oh, because basically Bill Ward started drinking again. Um, so he, he Bill Ward had been sober since 1980. No, been sober for a year or two, whatever it was. Um, and yeah, the anxiety of. Uh, going back on the road led him to start drinking again. And it looks like he didn't actually get to even do any shows on the tour. Oh, wow. uh, just trying to look at that. So. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. And on top of that, you have, one has to remember at this point in time, Tony Iommi was a complete and total jerk and mm. tortured Bill Ward. He had always tortured Bill Ward. So I could see why the anxiety would come back to make him start drinking again having right. a deal with Tony Iommi for another year. And, mm -hmm. and after having already dealt with Tony Iommi and seeing Ian Gillen, because I, I can't imagine that tr the night of trash was the only night he was drinking. So I kind of picture him drunk most nights. And yeah. I, I could see where he just uh, you know, had, to, had to walk out from there. But this album, after this album was over, of the four men in Black Sabbath, only one of them still was. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Three of the four walked out on Tony Iommi. Yeah. Yeah. And it was yeah. and this album was a grower in the time when they needed a shower because not only do they lose the three, they had lost two ahead of this one. Mm -hmm. so, you know, mm -hmm. if you look at the eight guy the eight total members of Black Sabbath between nineteen eighty three and nineteen eighty three, because Live Evil came out in eighty three, I believe. So you've got of the the first these first four guys you only got two left and then after this one the second four guys you only got one left. So Black Sabbath is is falling apart for lack of a better term. And they needed something strong and crushing and it, it started well and then just fell fell away. There was no staying power there. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So 
So there we are. It's um, it's a strange thing because it sometimes does sound like classic Black Sabbath, and it's like the last the last time anything quite sounds like classic Black Sabbath in a way. I for know a long they, time. Yeah, certainly for a long time. Certainly for a long time. Um, it's a bit odd. It doesn't always work. Um, Ian Gillan doesn't always slot in perfectly with them, but a lot of the time it does work. Um, and for me, this album is one, I've said this before, I always remember it as being less impressive than it actually is when I listen. So I'm always pleasantly surprised when I listen back to it, how good it actually is. Um, Completely agree there. It's got such a bad reputation and you think of it as such an odd combination having uh, Gillen with, with Black Sabbath, but it is really not bad. It is really not bad. Not perfect, not absolutely brilliant, but some, some brilliant moments and well worth listening to. Now, hear me out on this one. Yes, I was okay. listening today, and I think I discovered something that has gone undiscovered. Okay. I think this is a concept album. Okay. There's a story here. It starts off with Trashed. Ian yep. Gillen plays the main guy because he's the only one. So, Trashed talks about getting into a wreck. He goes into a wreck, and at that point in time, to me, the character goes into a coma, and he begins viewing the world, disturbing the priest, Zero the hero. Zero the hero, you've got a fake prophet on television. Mm -hmm. Fighting against computers. Yeah. Born again, where this, this song and the following song sound to me, if you take the lyrics and take them out of song form, to me, these sound like a tinfoil-hatted street preacher. Think about this. Mm-hmm. Then you get into okay. and he wakes up from his coma and he's back to himself. Boom. Yeah, I mean, look, I can see it, Nick. I can see it. I, I'm not sure that's what they intended. I'm not they sure. They probably I did not. But, but I certainly see that it could work. I mean, you could uh, retrospectively, you could uh, commission oh, someone. I am completely retconning this because I have no belief in my head that they did this on purpose. But I'm listening to this, and it gets to when it. Where was it? It was uh, "Keep It Warm." That was when it hit me. Listening to "Keep It Warm," and I'm like, wait a minute. He's told all these stories because every one of these songs is a story. This is to me a collection of short stories and keep it warm. Doesn't make sense unless everything else is connected somehow. Yeah. I get that it, was man. how I took it. Yeah. I mean, I maintain that you, you, you've probably, I know just like me, you're a big fan of Roger Waters and we both um, like uh, the album, the pros and cons of hitchhiking, which fe- features a similar story where the guy very much and dreams his whole life and then at the end wakes back up next to his wife kind of thing so yeah i think you might have been a little bit influenced by that but you know what i can't say it doesn't work because it, it it does work and if somebody um was commissioned to create a little film to go with this album which worked with that storyline i think i think you could fit it in pretty well to be honest i would not so. watch that movie i will say that i would not watch that <laughs> but yes i will admit wholeheartedly i have been on a huge roger waters kick lately especially since as we are recording this in real time my copy of his new live album is in the mail to me and i can't wait for it to go cool cool but it's it's just 
I, I was reading on Twitter a couple of months ago about somebody that did this with an album. They found a way to turn an album that wasn't a concept album into one. And I think it doesn't, I don't think with this one, it's that big of a leap to get there. Yeah, I think that's probably absolutely right. Um, so there we go. I wonder what um, Iomi and Gillen and Butler and Wards would, uh, would think uh, about that. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe they'd revisit this and uh, do a special concept show with actors on stage and they play the whole album. I mean, probably not. <laughs> with, with four dwarfs. Yes. Four, oh, I never said if, that. So let me just finish that little story. So yeah, the, the, the dwarf thing, apparently. So, so we've got the Stonehenge theme and we've also got the album cover, which is the, the baby, the red devil baby. So apparently what happened hang was... Hang on, hang on. I'm going to go on record before you get there because I know this story. This is the worst thing. If this happened in 2020, they would be cancelled. Yeah, yeah. So basically, Don Arden had arranged this, and apparently, actually, members of the band were were not really impressed and kind of protested against against this and said, "Look, what what is this?" But Don Arden insisted. So they had a dwarf dressed in like a red um, sort of spandex jumpsuit thing, oh um, dressed God. as the Red Devil baby. That during like they'd start the set with one of those synth intros so well it would have been the song stonehenge and basically there's this huge scream and like and the baby is screaming while doing a backflip somersault off the huge stonehenge prop onto a uh, a crash mat um, this is awful it is yeah and apparently ian gillen didn't even know about it and he just suddenly heard this ah! <laughs> and looked down and thought what what is going on here um, so there you go. Yeah, pretty bad. That's rock and roll excess. Um, also, interesting to note, 20 years later, Ozzy is touring with a troupe of little people. Okay, I don't even know if I knew that. What, in, tw in, in 2003? Yeah. Okay. There was, a video. there was a, okay, I probably shouldn't mention this, but I'm gonna. There was a documentary of this, and one of the little people get her name because if in america little people 75 percent of them are in the entertainment industry okay 20 15 to 20 percent of everyone else mm -hmm. this woman i saw her four years later in mini kiss okay he did paul stanley in mini kiss right this all ties up into a weird bow, and I'm moving. No, I'm I'm gonna say, I don't even know what mini kiss is. I can imagine because I'm not Google a big. Google it. Just Google it. I'm not going to get into it because I'm going to say things the wrong way. Just Google okay. It. Everybody, yeah. if you're not, if you don't know, Google it and Google it and oh, know that yeah. I saw them drunk one night at a bar, on purpose. Okay. But now this it, is strange, but this this is one for another uh, another episode, a different episode, I I think, or maybe in not. In terms of this album, I will say this album is inappropriately forgotten, should be remembered, and Zero the Hero should have been on the Black Sabbath set list permanently at this point. Yeah, man. Now, good album, slightly weird, but just judge it judge it for what it is which is not really Black Sabbath. And then um, there's a lot to enjoy, actually, if you do that. Correct. That is my opinion. Anything mm -hmm. else? 
I think that's it. Um, but it's a good one. Listen to it. It is a good one. A lot of great stories. And I think we probably could have gone a lot longer on this one. But in the meantime, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Hopefully you've all subscribed. And we will be back next week with another one of these goofy things. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. See you soon. Bye-bye.